We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 11 this morning. It'll come up for us on screen. For those of you, this is your first time, Matthew is one of the Gospels of the New Testament, uh, and a full account of the life of Christ Jesus. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them, until it came, went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is the word of the Lord. Allow me to pray. Father, this morning, we long for Christ to be exalted in every one of our hearts. What a joy it was to worship Jesus. And we long to grow in our lifestyle of worship. So help us, Lord, through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, this is such a familiar passage. This is a famous passage. Uh, Almost always it is this passage uh, that is most often presented in every visual representation of the Christmas story. Even at our Christmas gala, when we put up the nativity scene, uh, it, it was this passage that was portrayed visually right there, if you remember. The wise men worshipping Christ soon after he was born. This is not just a famous passage, but this is a theologically rich passage. And I want to draw out two things for us from this passage. Just who did these wise men worship? And how exactly did they worship him? Just who did these wise men worship? And how exactly did they worship him? Let's look at the first. Just who did these wise men worship? Look at verse 11 in the passage that we just read. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Who they worshipped is obvious. They worshipped the incarnate son of God. But this one simple yet profound moment of worship captures for us, for us, 
the full depth and riches of the doctrine of incarnation. At that time, Jesus, the Son of God, was just a child, definitely under two years of age. And if you look around at New City, we have quite a few kids who are under two years of age. And what we know about kids that age is that they are utterly, totally, completely vulnerable. At that age, Christ, the Son of God, God himself who took on flesh, he too was totally vulnerable and yet the wise men worshipped him. A helpless, vulnerable infant and yet at the same time also fully God and absolutely worthy of worship. This is the doctrine of incarnation captured in all of its theological richness in one simple moment of worship. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man in one person forever. This is the doctrine of incarnation in its most simplest words. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man in one person forever. It is this incarnated son that the wise men worshipped. I'd like to quickly unpack each of these four aspects of the incarnation. Fully God, fully man, fully God and fully man in one person forever. So all four things I want to take a quick minute each to unpack. First, Jesus was fully God. If you look at John chapter 1 verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word here is an obvious reference to Jesus. The Bible leaves leaves us in no doubt whatsoever that Jesus Christ is fully God. Look at Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. For in Christ, the whole fullness of deity, deity dwells bodily. The fullness of God dwells bodily in Christ Jesus. The child that these wise men worshipped was fully God. He was 100% God. And Jesus was not only fully God, but he was also fully man. And this is the second aspect of the incarnation. Jesus is fully man. Jesus had a human body. He, He grew up normally just like a human child. In the Gospels, we read that Jesus in his adulthood, was was hungry. He was thirsty. He was tired. Physically, Jesus was fully human. Jesus had a human mind. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, the Bible tells us that Jesus, as a child, grew in wisdom, just like another child. This includes the normal intellectual development of a child. Jesus had human emotions. Again, we read in the Gospels that his soul was troubled. He was sorrowful. He wept. He marveled at the centurion's faith. He prayed with loud cries and tears. Jesus had the full range of human emotions. He was fully man. 
And yet, in all of this, Jesus was both utterly sinless and also absolutely righteous. Not only did Jesus not commit any sins whatsoever, even though he was tempted in every way just as we are, but Jesus also absolutely fulfilled all righteousness. Not only did Jesus never do anything bad, but Jesus did every good thing that he was supposed to do in absolute perfect obedience to the Father. This is the child that the, that the wise men worshipped that, that day. Fully God, fully man. The third aspect of the incarnation is that Jesus was both fully God and fully man in one person. Jesus was not two beings. Jesus was not sometimes God, sometimes man. Jesus was not 99% God, 1% man. He's not 50% God, 50% man. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man in one person. This is a child, fully God, fully man, in one person that the wise men worshipped that day. And there's the fourth aspect of the incarnation, which I'd like to come back to at the end of this sermon. Before we move to the second point, some some interesting uh, trivia, a Bible quiz, if you may. How many wise men were there? All of us assume there is three. Or the Bible does not say. There could have been three, there could have been two. What the Bible tells us is there were three gifts that were offered. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That does not mean there were three men. There could have been three men. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell. Second, where did the wise men worship Jesus? Immediately we think of the manger, even in the nativity we put up, mostly it's the manger. But look at, look at this passage, look at uh, verse 11. The shepherds worship Christ in the manger, not the wise men. Look at verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, they fell down and worshipped him. It's alright to put the wise men in the nativity, they're not going to be offended they're not, going to, they're not going to be hurt that we, did, we got it wrong. It's all right. That's how it's portrayed in culture. That's what people associate. Uh, but just interesting facts. That's not all. I'm, I'm not trying to uh, you know, nitpick theologically. Not at all. Just, just a little laugh. Let's look at the second thing. We saw just who did the wise men worship. Let's now look at how did these wise men worship Christ? That's important for us. We need to see Christ being worshipped for who he is. We need to see Christ being given the glory that he deserves. So that we too, all of us, myself first, we too may grow in this. These wise men were mysterious figures. All that the Bible tells us is they came from the east and that they followed the star to find Christ. Some say these wise men, also called the Magi, were from Persia. Some even make the connection all the way back to Daniel. And saying that Daniel's ministry in Babylon kind of sowed the seeds. We, we don't know all of that is speculation. While we don't know exactly who they were, while we don't know how did they come to know about Jesus, 
We don't know how exactly the star led them, but we can safely conclude two things. The first thing we can conclude from the wise men is that Jesus came for all people, not just the Jews, not just for any specific people. Jesus came as a savior for all people. The fact that these wise men, who were complete outsiders, came to worship Christ soon after he was born, establishes that Jesus came for all people. Second, and most importantly, all of us have much to learn about exactly how these wise men worshipped Christ. And this passage shows us three aspects, three aspects of, of, of these wise men worshipping Christ. And we have, to much, we have much to learn from all three. We're going to be looking at all three. First, the wise men worshipped Christ with great joy. Look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The Bible generally does not use superlative narratives. So when the Bible says that the wise men rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, you know something special is happening here. Joy is an integral part of the Christmas story. And joy must be a constant and steadfast part of the life of every Christian. Worshippers of Christ are always joyful. If I'm lacking joy in my life, it is highly likely that I am lacking a worship of Christ in my life. If you remember a couple of years ago, we, we defined true joy in a sermon series we did uh, on, on the book of Philippians. In that series, we saw how we generally think that circumstances bring us joy. But the Apostle Paul and the book of Philippians and the entire Bible tells us that we bring joy as followers of Christ. We bring our joy into circumstances. This is the true nature of joy. For a true follower of Christ, circumstances do not bring us joy. We bring joy to circumstances. Christian joy does not mean that we don't have challenges or we don't have problems or we don't have disappointments in our lives. It means that the true joy of Christ can and should warm our hearts even in the face of the greatest sorrows of life. I'm not saying we should never feel sad. But what I am saying is that the joy of Christ remains with us. The joy of Christ burns in our hearts, even in our darkest hour of grief, grief and disappointment. How would you rate the joy you are experiencing in your life? What is your joy quotient? How much of this real joy is steadfast in our lives? Remember, the extent of our joy is a good measure of the extent of our worship. 
the source of our greatest joy will determine the sustainability of our joy in all other things in our lives. If Christ is the greatest joy in our life, all of the little joys, all of the other little joys will be meaningful and will be sustainable. But if Christ is not the greatest joy of our lives, everything will be meaningless and fleeting. And this is the first lesson in worship that the wise men teach us. Joy. Second, the wise men worshipped Jesus with great wonder. Look at verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. This verse does not tell us that they knelt down in worship Christ, in worshipping Christ. They fell down in their worship to Christ. The moment they came into the presence of the Savior, fully God, fully man, they were undone. You know, if you really think about it, these wise men were not surprised to see Jesus there. They'd come searching for Christ. They were planning on seeing Jesus. They had traveled afar with the sole intention of seeing Jesus. They were mentally, emotionally, spiritually prepared to see Christ. And yet in that moment when they came face to face with Christ at that point in time, the newborn Savior, they were so overwhelmed with a sense of wonder at His divine presence that they fell down in worship. Where is our wonder in worship? Are we bored, distracted, checking our phone during worship and the sermon? Or are we filled with wonder and worship? Don't worry, I didn't see anyone checking your phone. (laughs) So don't worry. Where is our wonder Monday to Saturday? Three things kill our wonder for Christ. Three things. Busyness, Bitterness and excessive comforts and indulgences. Busyness, bitterness, and excessive comforts and indulgences. Busyness. Busyness is a clear sign that Christ is no longer first in our hearts. We cannot worship Christ when we are busy. It's impossible. If we cannot slow down, if we are unable to slow down, there can be neither wonder nor worship. Bitterness. Bitterness kills wonder and worship. Bitterness poisons our soul. It stifles every sense of worship. Bitterness is not just an emotion we experience towards another person. Quite often, for some of us, bitterness is a general state of being. We are bitter with life. And quite often in our bitterness, we often overlook all the good things God has given us. In our bitterness, we even forget our salvation and the free gift of eternal life. And we tend to focus on the things that we lack. Bitterness kills our wonder of Christ. And if you notice, if you really think about it, busyness and bitterness generally go hand in hand. Busy people tend to be bitter people. They do tend to snap. 
And the third thing that kills our wonder and worship is excessive comforts and indulgences. It's, it's okay to enjoy the good things in life. They're a gift to us from God. A good holiday, a great meal, some shopping, an afternoon at the spa, a night out with friends. Of course we can enjoy all of these things. But if we are unwilling to sacrifice any of these things, or if our lives revolve only around these things, it's quite hard to experience the wonder of Christ. Because we tend to build a sense of entitlement. Excessive comforts make our lives all about ourselves. We don't want to give anything to God or to others. And that brings us to the third and the last lesson on true worship that the wise men have to teach us. We saw that they worship with joy, they worship with wonder. And third, the wise men worship Jesus with great sacrifice. Look at verse 11 again. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want to invite us to to see the choice and the selection of words here. The wise men opening their treasures, they offered Christ gifts. They sacrificially opened up their treasures and gave them away as gifts of worship to Christ. At that time and culture, gold and frankincense and myrrh did not come cheap. They were, they were expensive. And not only were these wise men offering costly things in worship, they were offering themselves. They had undertaken this journey in faith. Even at that time, following a star is, is not the thing that you do every day. It must have been a long journey. It must have been a challenging journey. But they came. They gave themselves in their worship of Christ. They opened up their treasures. Listen. We cannot hold on to our treasures and worship Christ at the same time. There can be no worship unless we open up our treasures and offer them to Christ. In the, in the same passage we are looking at this morning, even as we see the wise men worshipping Christ, we also see the inability of King Herod to worship Christ. He didn't feel wonder. King Herod did not experience wonder. He was threatened. Why was King Herod unable to worship Christ? He was unable to worship Christ because he was unable to give his greatest treasure. Do you know what King Herod's greatest treasure was? It was power. And Jesus threatened his power. Or he felt threatened. He was king over the Jews appointed by the Roman emperor. And when Christ was born, he was announced as the king of Jews. And that threatened Herod's sense of power. Which, quite obvious from this passage, was his greatest treasure. Because Herod was unable to give up his greatest treasure, which was power, he was unable to worship Christ. Unless we lay down our greatest treasures, we will struggle to grow in our worship of Christ. In Mumbai, I don't need to say this, but for quite a few of us, 
A career is our greatest treasure. Christ comes second. For some of us, our children are our greatest treasure. Christ comes second. For some of us, it's having fun and holidaying and, and, and generally having a good life. That is our greatest treasure. Christ is maybe at best a means to get to this treasure. Unless we lay these treasures down. They're good gifts. I'm not preaching poverty here. They're good gifts. We can enjoy them. They're gifts from God. Every good thing God has given us. Every good thing to be enjoyed. Everything that's worth enjoying. Everything that we, our hearts find delight in. Everything that our bodies find delight in. is a gift to us from God. We can enjoy all of those things. But all of those things must be at best the secondary loves of our lives. With Christ, a newborn savior. Fully God, fully man. He must be the primary love of our life. The primary object of our worship. So here are the three lessons that the wise men can teach us about worship. They worship Jesus with great joy. They worship Jesus with wonder. They worship Jesus with great sacrifice. How do we fare on all of these three counts? Is there joy in our lives? Is there wonder in our worship? Is sacrifice an ongoing part of our lifestyle of worship. If we were all honest with ourselves, uh, we will acknowledge that we are all woefully short on all three counts. Personally, I'll be the first one to confess that I am personally lacking on all three counts. I know, and my heart's cry, and my heart's prayer and my heart's brokenness is that I need to grow so much in my own joy, wonder and sacrifice. I have to confess that the past few days have definitely not been, I have not been the most joyful. Circumstances robbed me of the joy that I should rightfully be enjoying. So I, I, I'll be the first one to confess that I need to grow on all these crowns. So how do we grow? How do we grow in our joy? How do we grow in our wonder? How do we grow in our, in our sacrifice? Our Christmas celebration today would be most meaningful if we can all grow at least a little bit in our joy, wonder, and sacrifice in our worship. So how do we grow? And this is where I'd like to draw out the fourth aspect of the doctrine of incarnation, which I'd said I'll come back to at the end of the sermon. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man in one person forever. We looked at Jesus as fully God. We looked at Jesus as fully man. We looked at Jesus as fully God, fully man in one person. We're now going to look at Jesus Christ as fully God, fully man in one person forever. In his incarnation, God the Son took on flesh forever. The last four or five years, this has just gripped my heart. Jesus did not take on flesh only for the three odd decades that he lived here on earth. Jesus took on flesh forever. 
divinity robed himself in humanity forever. After his death, first Jesus was born fully God, fully man. He took on flesh. And after his death on the cross, Jesus rose again from the dead in bodily form. It was a physical resurrection. And after his resurrection, he spent 40 days with his disciples. And after that, he ascended into heaven, not as a spirit, not as only God. He ascended into heaven, fully God, fully man, in flesh and blood. Jesus did not leave humanity behind when he ascended. He ascended as he was born, fully God fully man. He is now seated at the right hand side of the Father, fully God and fully man in one person as our representative to the Father. Jesus represents humanity in God the Father's presence in heaven. When Christ comes again, he will still be fully God, fully man. When we spend eternal life with Jesus, he will still be fully God, fully man. In fact, for eternity to come, Jesus will never shed his humanity. Consider this for a moment. Consider the depth and the beauty of the incarnation. In order to save us, divinity had to clothe himself with humanity forever. And he did so gladly. The word condescending these days is a, it's not a, it's a negative word. But God condescended. The word con means with. And the word descended, that's what condescended means. Jesus became with us. When we worship him as Emmanuel, even today, he is Emmanuel, God with us, fully God and fully man. Think about it. He took on humanity. Christ, God, God the Son, took on humanity, made that part of his nature, made that part of his being for eternity. There's no going back for Jesus because he loved us so much. And he had to take on flesh for our sake because only a human could die in our place as sacrifice of atonement for our sins. And Christ, in order to save us, to redeem us, he took on flesh forever. And when we are united with him, when we, the bride, the church, are united with him as our bridegroom, he will be fully God, fully man, in one person forever. It is only when we pause to consider that divinity robed himself with humanity forever in order to serve us. Only when we consider, as the verse that we read this morning told us, only when we consider that the Son of God, God himself, stooped so low to become human and a human servant at that. When we consider all this, how can we not worship Jesus 
with joy, wonder, and sacrifice. This Christmas morning, as we behold this child that the wise men worshipped, as we behold the incarnate Son, fully God, fully man, in one person forever, may we all grow in worshipping Christ with joy, with wonder, and with sacrifice. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, you are the one who leads us to repentance and faith. And Lord, I, I lead the church in repentance this morning. I lead the church in repentance for our lack of joy, for our lack of wonder, for our indifference, and for our lack of sacrifice, for our sense of entitlement. And Lord, but even as we repent from the depths of our hearts, at the same time, we also put our faith in Jesus. In Him, we have forgiveness. In Him, we have redemption. In Him, we are being made and more and more into His image and His likeness. In Him, we have the obedience that He has. So help us, Lord. Help every one of us grow in our joy, in our wonder, and in our sacrifice. Thank you. This morning, with one heart, we worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was fully God, who is fully God, and fully man, in one person, forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.